everyone and welcome or welcome back to Scottish and Scared. I'm Stephanie and I will be telling you some strange and unusual tales from the place I call home, Scotland. Before we get into it, I would like to ask everyone listening to send in their strange or unusual experiences. They do not have to have taken place in Scotland or even relate to it. If you have any requests for future episodes or you just fancy a wee gab, then please do not hesitate to get in touch. You can send us an email at scottishandscared at gmail.com and you can also follow us on Instagram at scottishandscaredpod. Lastly, if you wouldn't mind, please rate, review and share the show wherever you may be listening to it. It really helps us out a bunch and a massive thank you to everyone who already has. Now... Let's get into it. Hi, hello, how are we all? I hope everyone has had a nice weekend and your week is going well so far. This past weekend we visited Glam's Castle. If you follow us on Instagram, you will have seen a, you will have seen some of the photos, uh, a reel that we shared and just some other wee bits and bobs. I have to say it is one of the most beautiful places that I've ever been. Just the, in terms of the way that it's laid out for visitors the grounds, the building, the people that work there, everything was just amazing. It was a really, really, really nice day. I left there really, really happy. So if you ever get the chance to visit Glam's Castle, please do so. You do have to pay to get in, but it's pretty reasonable and you basically just get free roam of the castle and the grounds. I have already spoken about Glam's Castle on the show and it is actually my favourite Scottish castle because of the story that I covered regarding the monster of Glam's castle. It is a really sad story, so if you haven't already, please go check that episode out if you want to know more about the history or you want to know about the monster of Glam's castle. I don't have too much to bore you with this week, but I would like to remind you that we have a shirt you can go purchase with Corpus Clothing. I've said it before, but I will happily say it again. Corpus Clothing are a small clothing brand who are heavily inspired by the paranormal and breaking down the stigma around mental health. Each piece of clothing is handmade to order and if you would like to purchase a shirt to support me, the show or you want to check out the brand, head over to their site, I will link it in the episode description below as well as a discount code for 20% off that I have been kindly given for you lovely people. Yeah, so please go grab one if you can, it would mean the world to me and you will be supporting an amazing brand with an important message as well. Something I like to quickly mention as well, if you are a long-term listener, you will know that I am taking part in a project called Scottish Collaboration and this will be running from the 5th to the 11th of December this year and basically what it is is a variety of Scottish podcasts, small businesses and magazines uh, and a lot of other things as well who are all coming together for a week in December to showcase each other's content, promote each other's businesses, just to try and get a wee bit of Uh, more eyes on us, get our stuff out there a wee bit more. I've said it before, I don't think there is enough cross-promotion within the Scottish podcast scene for some reason. I don't know why that is. Um, You all know my thoughts on that if you've been a long-term listener. The reason that I'm bringing it up is because I would like to ask you folks, if you have anyone that you know who, a family member, a friend, somebody you work with who has a Scottish-owned small business or has a podcast and they would like a wee bit more exposure, some more eyes on it and they would be happy to take part, then please uh, let them know and tell them that they can get in touch with myself through email and I can or they can DM us. I will pass all the information on to Dawn who is the head of the collaboration. Alternatively, I will link the site below which has 
all the details in regards to the collaboration. It has all the podcasts involved, all the magazines, small businesses, everyone that's involved. Um, and you can get a bit more information over there. I can link that below. They can go there as well. But yeah, I think it would be nice to have uh, more people involved. The more, the merrier, they say. And yeah, that's all I have to bore you with this week. So why don't we just get into this week's episode? If you're a long-term listener, you will know that I've been trying to read as much as humanly possible. So while I was doing that, I came across the story that I'm going to be talking about today. And I was kind of surprised that I hadn't heard of it before. So let me know if you have heard of this story before. It was my first time reading it, which is always refreshing. And today's story is that of the devil of Glenluce. I've said it once and I'll say it again. The devil seems to just really like hanging out here in Scotland for whatever reason. Although with the weather lately, he probably would have felt right at home. I mean, it is as hot as hell, let's be honest. Now, the incidents that I'm going to talk about take place over two years, from November 1654 to September of 1656, and they centre around a man called Gilbert Campbell and his family. Now, Gilbert was a weaver, and he lived in Galloway in the village of Glenluce. He lived with his wife, Grizzle Wiley, and they had several children varying in ages, and they also had a maid called Margaret. The activity seemed to begin in November of 1654 when one of the daughters called Janet was sent to the well to gather some water for the family. As she approached the well she heard a whistling sound which moved until it sounded like it was coming from all around her. Obviously a bit unsettled she was then scared to death when she heard a voice from just beside her say I'll cast thee Janet into the well. She rushed home and told her mother and siblings what had happened and like these things go, they told her that she was just imagining it and it was nothing to worry about. About a week or two later, stones began to hit the house in large numbers. They would fly through open windows and doors and even drop down the chimney. Although they were being thrown with force, they never actually hit or injured anyone inside the house. So it was kind of at this point that the family knew something wasn't quite right And then people from outside the household had also started to take notice of this unexplained activity. One of the people who took notice was a parish minister, Reverend John Scott. And this is kind of where things started to change from stone throwing to more intense activity. The family's clothes would show up with large slashes all over them. They would even appear while they were wearing them. Then, several threads on Gilbert's weaving loom were severed, which was devastating to the family. With Gilbert no longer able to work, things started to become a wee bit more serious. During the night, the blankets would be yanked off of the sleeping children. Belongings would be pulled from trunks and thrown around the house. Even some of Gilbert's work tools would go missing and show up around the house in different places. So, so fed up with all this and really, really concerned that he might lose his livelihood, Gilbert moved all his remaining tools to one of his neighbours' homes to keep them safe. At a loss, the family asked their friends and neighbours their opinions on what was happening and why it was happening. And interestingly enough, they had all noticed that the activity seemed to be centred around one of Gilbert's children. To try and narrow down who exactly it was, he sent each of his children away to separate households for five days. While the children were gone, the activity did seem to disappear, so he then started to bring them home one by one. And when he brought his son Thomas home, the shit hit the fan once again. This time around, fires began to break out around the property on two separate occasions on two separate days. 
There didn't seem to be any sort of rational explanation for how these fires started, but obviously they were very scared that this could actually kill somebody. So Thomas was sent to go stay with Reverend Scott, but the activity continued at home and it actually got even worse. Peats began to hit the house, turf was pulled from the roof and walls of the house, clothes were torn apart and prick marks began to appear on the skin of the family members as though someone had been stabbing them with a needle over and over and over. So as you can imagine over these kind of months things are starting to get pretty awful at home Um, and this is when Thomas returned for a second time. This time before he entered the home he heard a deep foreboding voice order him to stay away but he ignored it and he went inside. He then suffered so badly that he had to leave the home once again and return to stay with the reverend. Over the next three months, each one of the family members heard this voice for themselves and it became such a normal part of their day that they regularly had conversations with it. Now, I think this is so funny because it's like it, it's like something out of a sketch show where these this family are just like it's like something out of Family Guy that there's just like this this foreboding evil voice talking to the family and they are literally just don't care they're just walking about living their life rolling their eyes at it that's insane on the thirteenth of February sixteen fifty five the news of this voice had made its way to the Reverend himself. Hearing this, he became extremely concerned that the family were conversing with something that had a wee bit of a more darker motive. To get to the bottom of it, he assembled a group made up of his wife, her friend Mrs Douglas, and several men named James Bailey, Alexander Bailey and Robert Hay. He chose these men because they had good reputation within the community, but, I mean, absolutely no experience in dealing with the devil, but obviously very qualified in his eyes, for whatever reason. When they entered the home, the voice immediately addressed them in Latin, which nobody understood, so it then switched to Lowland Scots. Hearing the voice, they all made the decision that it had to be the son of Satan, which I think is a perfectly plausible assumption, you know, like that is obviously the first thing that your mind would go to. Whenever they prayed or mentioned God, the voice did go very quiet, it didn't interrupt, it just kind of retreated to wherever it was it was coming from. During their time at the home, the voice did say quite a lot. He was a chatty wee devil. It revealed the names of the witches that were currently living in Glenluce, One of the women it mentioned had actually died and when Gilbert told the voice this, it said, it is true she is dead long ago but her spirit is living with us in the world. It threatened to set the roof on fire several times if Thomas Campbell did not leave the house. It asked for a shovel so it could dig its own grave and it even claimed to have a written commission from God himself to torment the family. It did the whole stereotypical thing as well where it argued scripture, took the piss out of the Bible and it even took the piss out of Alexander Bailey for wearing a broad rimmed hat. So yeah, a funny wee devil as well. The group confirmed it to be demonic when it was asked where it came from. The voice said that it lived in a bottomless pit of hell and that Satan was its father. There was even an instance during the night he was able to manifest an apparition of Satan's forearm. A wee snippet from the incident goes like this. Presently there appeared a naked hand and an arm from the elbow down beating upon the floor till the house did shake again, and also he uttered a most fearful and loud crying. Come up, my father, come up. I will send my father among you. See there, he is behind your backs. Then the minister said, I saw indeed a hand and an arm, 
when he, the stroke was given and heard, the devil said to him, saw you that? It was not my hand, it was my father's. My hand is more black in the loof. Loof actually just means palm, in case anybody's wondering. So this devil apparently manifested the forearm of the devil, which I find to be a very strange thing to do, to be honest. As their night came to a close, the voice screamed for the candles around the home to be blown out so it could appear in the darkness as a fireball. When they didn't, it asked one of the daughters to hand over her belt so it could bind its bones together and then threatened to to bash her brains in. (laughs) The children had become so desensitised to this voice and its threats that the young girl just shrugged and went back to what she was doing and the group's time at the home came to an end. So in summary, they never really helped the situation and the activity continued until April of 1655 and then everything just stopped just like that, everything went silent, just dead silent. And that happened for two months. The family had peace and got on with their lives until July 1655 when things started to get a wee bit weird again. All of the fresh food in the home began to spoil at an unnatural rate and it got so bad that the family almost starved. Not knowing what else to do, Gilbert approached the Synod, which I'm don't know if I'm saying that right but I'm just going to say synod because that's what it looks like, who were the regional body of presbyteries. They did listen to Gilbert's concerns and did eventually intervene the following February, which come on now is a bit of a joke. They went to Gernlus and asked God to help the family, declaring a day of fasting and humiliation across southwest Scotland which I would be absolutely furious about if I was not religious or I didn't care about this family and I've just been told to fast. I don't think so. Following this, things did seem to calm down and the family had a wee break from the madness, but in August 1656, it started up again. Cooked food was going missing and it would turn up in holes, under beds and bed sheets, and even in places outside the home. One morning, Gilbert's wife was in the kitchen, making breakfast, when out of nowhere, the plate was snatched from her hand. She screamed, let me have my plate again, and the plate was thrown across the room at her, but thankfully she wasn't injured. Things continued throughout August, and the family were absolutely exhausted and basically at their wit's end, which is completely understandable. In September, everything came to a head. The noises were deafening. Stones were cascading over the house, the family were being assaulted in their beds by wooden staves and the voice growled and screamed that it was going to burn the house down with everyone inside it. On the 22nd, one of the beds actually did catch fire and thankfully was put out before anyone was hurt. And that was the end of the story. Everything stopped. Obviously the family were very sceptical and they were just sitting about waiting for it to all kick off again, but it never did. For whatever reason, the son of Satan had decided that he had had enough and he moved on. The family did live at the house for several years after and everything pretty much went back to normal. Nobody knows why it stopped, nobody knows why then, it's just one of those things. As far as trying to authenticate this story, it is mentioned in a few different texts as well as a letter that Robert Bailey wrote to his friend William Sprang. Wiley was acting principal at the University of Glasgow and a lot of the source material came directly from one of Gilbert's sons who was a philosophy student in Glasgow at the time that this was all kind of going on. In terms of what 
was this entity and why did it choose this family? There was a story of a beggar named Alexander Agnew who was refused charity by the family a year before the activity began and he threatened to hurt the family due to them obviously turning him away uh, and this is kind of when things did get a wee bit weird for them. weird for them not long after this. Alexander was arrested for refusing to attend church, denying the reality of any god or godly things and he regarded the Christian faith to be a complete charade. He was quoted as saying, I know not whether God or the devil have the greater power, but I thought that the devil had the greatest. And when I die, let God and the devil strive for my soul and let him that is strongest take it. He was then hanged on Wednesday 21st of May 1656. And that's really the only thing they came up with as to why this has happened in the first place. They thought that maybe Alexander was fraternising with the devil and he had set this entity on the family after he died. But that's really the only thing that I could find on why this happened. And that is the story of the devil of Glenluis. So, afterthoughts. I did read a few sources that claimed that this was fake and that it was just made up and it was one of the family members, it was a hoax, which usually, you know me, I'm a wee bit of a sceptic as well as a believer, which is weird. Usually I would think, oh, that kind of sounds like a prank or something, but the fact that this family almost starved to death and the fact that they didn't gain anything from any of it makes me think that it's not a hoax, that it could have actually happened because... Usually when people do things like this, it's to get an article in a newspaper, to get some sort of book deal. There's always a reason for it. There's a gain to it. This family gained nothing. If anything, they lost a lot. So that's why I'm more inclined to believe that it could have been true. But it's also happened at a time where there was a lot of religious upheaval a lot of religious conflict, uh, a lot of the, oh, the devil did this, the devil did that, you know, there's a lot of that, um, witchcraft, stuff like that, that's all in the mix as well. So yeah, I'm inclined to believe that it's a true story, but I might be wrong. Another thing that I thought was quite interesting, if you've ever looked into poltergeists, or you've ever just read about poltergeists, you'll probably notice that a lot of poltergeist activity, not all, but majority, is centred around teenagers and it's usually around teenagers who are either going through puberty or have went through something traumatic and the theory is that it's kind of like psychokinesis where when you're a teenager and you'll know yourself when you go through that period where you're you're going through puberty and you, you don't know what's going on with your body and things are changing and you're emotional and there's so much going on inside your head and you're angry and you're questioning everything. There's a lot going on inside your head. And the theory is that they manifest this into physical, like into the physical world and it manifests as poltergeist activity and that's why poltergeist activity is usually quite like it's quite erratic and hysterical really like it's like sudden and things are being thrown across the room and it's like really angry it's like an angry teenager is genuinely what it's like I'm sure that the word poltergeist is German for noisy spirit I might have just made that up fact check it but I'm pretty sure that's what it's what it means but really if you if you look at what a poltergeist is it kind of sounds like a like an angry teenager just like stomping about the house and throwing things about and being angry. 
Um, so yeah, I found that quite interesting because in this story in particular, when the children left the house, that is when the activity seemed to cease. But the activity didn't happen at the other household that the, the children were living in. But when the children came back, it started up again. So yeah, that I, f- I thought that that was quite interesting and in that it could have been a genuine case of uh, poltergeist activity centred around one of the children. But yeah, I had a fantastic time reading this story. I'd never heard of it before and I found it really, really intriguing. Anything to do with the devil, I'm, I'm right in there. I have been reading a lot um, and I have a lot of stuff wrote down. Um, a lot of ghost stories, uh, some more poltergeist stories that I'm excited to share. But that is all I have for you today. I hope you have an amazing rest of your week. Make sure you check out Corpus Clothing and grab a shirt if you can. If you have any friends who would like to take part in the collaboration, tell them to get in touch or tell them to go to the website and they can get in touch that way. I will be back with you next week, but until then, stay weird, stay scared. Bye, folks. (laughs) 